Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and we're talking about basketball today. Uh, just uh, about an hour ago, it was announced that Penn State will take on Temple in the NIT, so uh, we're going to do a little bit of NIT chatter. Uh, here we got the entire crew with us, Chad Markulix. Hello. Did you know you can't spell Nittany without NIT? Damn. Uh, that's it for the podcast, folks. Thanks for listening. We're, uh, it's not getting any better than that. Uh, unless, Eric Gibson, do you have anything you would like to add? No, I have nothing. Okay. I want to add to that. All right, uh, then we'll we'll keep going, I suppose. And Dan Smith is here. Dan, hello. Good evening. Uh, so yeah, Penn State. Since the last time we spoke, went to uh, the Big Ten tournament, had a little bit of a run, made it to the semifinals against Purdue. A uh, bit of an outside shot that Penn State would be able to make it to the NCAA tournament after that ended up missing. Uh, we'll now participate in the NIT as a four seed. Uh, we'll host a game on Wednesday night at the Bryce Jordan Center. And actually, about thir- about a minute before we started recording, I wondered on our little call if Ken Palm had updated. Uh, he had not. I hit refresh, and then Ken Palm updated uh, Penn State's. Anticipated to win its game against Temple, we'll get to that in a little bit, but Eric, you wanted to start uh, by touching on Penn State's performance at the Big Ten Tournament, where the Nittany Lions were able to make it, as we said, to the semifinal before, it suffered an eight-point loss to Purdue. Yeah, um, so Big Ten Tournament was kind of cool. It was in New York, it was in Madison Square Garden, and Penn State despite the fact that everyone wrote them off with Mike Watkins' injury, actually uh, came out and had a good run. Um, now, unfortunately, didn't make the NCAA tournament, but that wasn't really an expectation going in. They kind of had already blown their chance at that. Um, you know, and, you're, and you remember, like, so, so this whole playing the tournament a week early thing, um, you know, when Penn State's in the middle of this run where they beat Northwestern and Ohio State and they're playing Purdue – like, don't you remember how, like, there's so many people on Twitter and, like, just authoritatively saying, like, hey, if Penn State wins this game against Purdue, they're going to be a lock for the NCAA tournament. Um, I, I don't think we... Dean saying something, yeah. Yeah, but, like, if we won that game, like, we're forcing the NIT right now. Like, do you, do you think that game would have really pushed them over the edge? I don't think so. Well, I, I mean, if you believe the NIT, like, seeds based on the ability to sell tickets at on-campus locations, like, maybe, but, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know, but I'll say tell you what though. One of those two games obviously cemented them into the NIT, um, and and considering, you know, it, it's kind of like they made another second like comeback here in this this little mini run in the Big Ten tournament because of how their season kind of played out. Um, they got behind, and then you know when everything looked dead, they finally went on that run, and then Watkins injury and the, the three game losing streak to end the season kind of deflated everything again and it seemed like it was going to be another uh, missed opportunity or, or whatever. And then chamber status was going to kind of come back into play on, you know, just because that's just what would have happened if they lost four straight games at the end of the season. Um, so that was kind of an inspiring performance, especially from the Lions backcourt with Tony Carr, who made all tournament team and Shep Garner, who, I don't think did, but probably should have, or at least had just as good of a tournament, if not better, than Tony did. Um, just because she had put up 33 points in that that loss to Purdue, which was a pretty inspiring performance and a kind of like a heartbreaking experience yeah. to see to see live, especially because of how hard he was playing. Um, I, I kind of tried to write about this during that whole like hectic 
you know, with the tournament being like daily games and those three games in three days. Um, I think the way the Northwestern game kind of played out made it seem like I wasn't surprised that they came out the next day and gave Ohio State all they could handle and then eventually win. Um, even though they looked dreadful against Northwestern for like the first 32 minutes again. Um, you know, Northwestern came out in their zone just like the first time, the first couple of times Penn State played, or at least the second time, I mean, uh, when Penn State went scoreless there and on the road. Uh, it looked like the same type of law league gagging game. Like it was just, it was ugly. Um, offense was not moving the ball, not attacking the zone. And uh, so they were in this like battle here with a Northwestern team that was like at half health with, you know, uh, McIntosh barely being able to play and Vic Law being out. And then all of a sudden, Tony Carr and Chef Garner just kind of like made enough threes to keep them in the game. And then Tony Carr hit um, two threes along with a three from Josh Reeves to kind of bust that game open. Um, and just kind of like the swagger in their body language when they did that, it was kind of like they knew all along they were going to win, even though they played pretty terribly. Um, that was pretty cool. I don't know. That, did, none of you guys went to the Northwestern game, were you? I don't. Were, uh, no, none I don't of you think guys were there. there no. Wait, Bill, you were at the Ohio State game. I right? was at the Ohio State game, yeah. And uh, it, I, I don't know what it was about the Ohio State game, but like I, I, thinking back of it, I always just felt confident for some reason. I think it's the fact that Penn State was 2-0 and against Ohio State coming into that. It was the fact that uh, it seemed like whenever Ohio State was uh, throwing the punches that should have landed the hardest, it, it just did nothing to Penn State. That game, for whatever reason... Oh, and also because, you know, they put Dan Dockage's kid on Tony Carr, which was just a brilliant... Uh, or Penn State kept doing things to get Dan Dockage's kid onto Tony Carr, which is just a fantastic, uh, fantastic thing for Penn State. But like, it, Chad, we'll go to you. Like, what did you, did you ever feel like, uh, like Penn's not comfortable in that game? Did you feel like that was, uh, you know, Penn State was gonna choke it away or whatever word you would want to use in that one? Uh, going in, I thought that the big issue would be trying to defend Caleb Wesson um, because, I mean, without Watkins, you know, he played pretty like well enough against uh, Wesson those two, first two wins that um, his size advantage inside couldn't be exploited. Um, so I, I, once he was struggling and Julian Moore and Satchel Pierce and uh, whoever we, they threw at him did enough, and, and he played like 20 minutes, I think, in that game. Um yeah, like once they saw like that, like they wouldn't have a really advantage on the inside, and it was just going to be like our, you know, perimeter players and and you know Lamar versus their guys. Um, you know, I thought we had like a, a decent shot to you know at halftime it was close. I thought okay, well, um, you know Tony's always going to play well against Ohio State. He just does for whatever reason. Um, I, partially it's because their their guards are so small. Um, so yeah, I, th- I thought you know given they, if they had a, a tight game, they'd, they'd have a shot. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, their seniors – or Shep came up with a huge play at the end of the game to steal the ball from Kata Bates-Diop. And, uh, and Tony made the winning play with a, a great pass to Josh Reeves, who uh, got the slam, the near-missed slam. Um, but it all worked out. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it was a gutsy performance. Um, I think, you know, having the fact that they beat them twice already in the season, they had some confidence to, you know, know that they could do it again. Um and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a pretty cool thing to see, like, you know, a game like that with Gus Johnson and Bill Raffrey calling the game and, uh, you know, being in New York and all. So on a Friday night where that was like the big 
game of college basketball that that night. So, um, yeah, pretty cool. And then obviously, like you know, me and uh, Eric and some other guys bought tickets for the to go to the Purdue game and didn't work out quite as well, but still, it was a pretty fun experience. You know, um, New York was fun, um, but I you know I still kind of wish it was played a week after that. But what can you do? Yeah, I mean, uh, Dan, we'll just real quick touch on. Uh, the Purdue game, I'll kind of have you throw a pretty, uh, get, cast a pretty wide net on that one. It seemed like, I, I, I don't want this to sound like I think that, you know, if Penn State was a little more fresh, it wins that game. Because, uh, you know, Purdue's a very, very good basketball team. But it seemed like the thing that was costing, like, the reason it felt like Penn State was not winning that game was just because uh Tony Carr had gone 36 minutes and 39 minutes in his last two games in two days, had to go 37 in this one. Lamar Stevens, 32 and 32, 37 in this game. I'm not even going to look up what Josh Reeves was because he he went over nine, no point. It just seemed like uh, second half of that game, Penn State just ran out of gas against a Purdue team that you just really can't run out of gas against. Yeah, I mean, I, I I totally agree, and I will say, you know, I, I don't think that Penn State would have won the game, um, but they certainly would have had a chance uh, had they been a little bit fresher. You know, it was clear that the fatigue was holding back Tony Carr and Josh Reeves, and you saw it in the way that they're. I mean, anybody who's played basketball can tell you, you know, that you you just can tell watching a guy who doesn't have any legs underneath those jump shots anymore, and you know, it was it was you know unfortunate that. Uh, you know, it was such a critical game for them. It was unfortunate that, you know, they were, um, you know, a little bit uh, undermanned. It would have been a game where you really would have liked to have been able to, to see what, what they could do with Mike Watkins, who didn't really participate much in the first Purdue game. And certainly, you know, Pepsi had a chance to win that first Purdue game, the one uh, in West Lafayette. Uh, when they did, they didn't really play with Mike Watkins, and you know they came up short in that one. But you know you saw with them just on normal rest, being able to, to hang with that team, you know, in a tough road environment. Um, you know that when that, you know once that team figured it out, Penn State that is, uh, you know they were they were competitive, and you know they had some adversity hit. Uh, you know it took them a couple games to figure out how they wanted to play without Mike Watkins. You know you saw that and how they struggled against Michigan and uh, in Nebraska to end the season. A, struggled uh, a bit then with that third game in the Big Ten tournament when they just you know, didn't have the legs under them and they didn't really have the ability on offense to create anything from anybody that wasn't uh, wasn't Shep Garner. You know, and I'd say yeah, that's the two things that, that I take away from that game is, uh, you know, they, they just you know, ran out of gas and that, you know, Shep Garner, you know, is, is yet another uh, senior at – with, for this Penn State program that is finishing his senior year uh, very, very strong. Um, I think he and uh, Julian Moore both this year are, you know, uh, two more guys that you can file in that category of guys who, you know, were, were late, you know, not late bloomers necessarily because certainly, at least in Shep Garner's case, he's been a contributor for the team. Um, but, you know, definitely, uh, you know, Julian Moore, you know, reminds you a little bit of, you know, some of the, the you know, late, uh, late season developments of guys like, uh, you know, Brandon Taylor and Donovan Jack and Sasha Borovniak, uh, Julian, uh, excuse me, uh, Jordan Dickerson, just guys that, you know, they weren't great, but they were, you know, role players who, you know, really sort of had it come together for them where they were really, you know, effective, uh, you know, down the stretch, you know, at the end of the season. I think, uh, you know, that's the reason that they were able to, you know, hang in there even with uh, with some of these games where, 
you know, even before Watkins got hurt, we go back to that Purdue game where he missed most of the game because he was in foul trouble. You know, uh, Julian Moore you know, played a played a good game in that one, and I and you know and even John Hara you know looked like uh, like somebody that was um, you know going to able to contribute. But you know, I look at the you know the, uh, Garner and Moore as two guys because I I remember an early season podcast and we were writing about it. You know, Garner did not have a strong start to the season for Penn State, and yep. he really you know once he once he I think he got. You know, it, it's it's been two years now that he's been more of an off-ball player, and it took about a year and a half of him being out there to really get comfortable with that. But once he did, man, he was extremely effective for Penn State. When they were able to get him looks, he was pretty consistent for them down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I I, I vividly remember in a podcast earlier uh, earlier this year when we were trying to figure out what like what one of the big problems is with this team. And Eric suggested Shep, and I think we all kind of agreed with him. And it's like like you mentioned, Dan, the way they've been able to they were able over the last uh, couple of games, that last stretch, to really take advantage of the fact that when you're running Shep Gardner off of a bunch of screens and he's getting good looks, he's going to hit shots for you. And you know that kind of came to a head against Purdue. It was unfortunate that uh, you know every. For, by and large, most college basketball players' careers end with a loss. Uh, fortunately, Sheps might not end with a loss just yet because uh, Penn State still is the NIT in the horizon. Uh, any last things you all want to say uh, about the NIT? Uh, except yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, not the NIT, about Big Ten Tournament. My fault. Go ahead. Yeah, dude, we got it. There's plenty of stuff to hit on. I mean, we, sure. we, I, still, I still want to go back to the Ohio State dunk um, just because, you know, we talked about that moment being kind of like the spotlight of college hoops that night. Um, it was a very well played game. Um, I don't think there was the officiating was pretty pretty uneven, uh, or not uneven, but more just subpar. I guess would be the be- the better term for it both ways. Um, a lot of strange calls, but it was just a, it was a highly entertaining college basketball game. It was back and forth. Both teams were making runs at each other, playing at a good intensity. Both teams had a lot on the line. Um, and then for Penn State to win kind of in that manner, you know, usually when Penn State wins a game like that, it's like, you know, you, you go back to like Joe Crispin hitting like a, a step through off balance shot or Taylor Battle hitting um, a ridiculously deep three pointer or winning a game 36 to 33. It's like every time Penn State's had big wins like that, it's always kind of had like a fluky feel to it. This didn't seem fluky at all. It seemed like Penn State was the better team. They proved it three times against Ohio State, a top 25 team that went 15-1 and one against everybody else they played in the Big Ten. Um, and then to win on that dunk for Carr, who's who's been criticized so heavily for not passing the ball, um, and Reeves to get that dunk after struggling so much in that game, too. He had t- Fortunately, Reeves had a, a nightmare experience in the Garden, at least offensively. I mean, I know he ended up putting a lot of points up in Northwestern, but he really struggled at Ohio State in those Purdue games. But for him to get that game-winning dunk, um, I thought it was just a, it was a very proud moment for the for this program. Um, you know, I don't want to like over exaggerate or over blow one specific well, totally play, fine. but but you know what I'm saying. Like, when, when have you ever seen Penn State basketball like on that stage deliver like that? Um, and I don't I I don't but know. Penn State looked like it belonged. It looked like it belonged against uh, an Ohio State team that's going to the tournament as a five seed and. Uh, mm-hmm. n- number, uh, I think 15 in a Ken Palm right now, something like that. Uh, again, not a bad basketball team by any stretch of the imagination. Like right? it is I mean, legitimately awesome that Penn state beat a team that good. And it says a lot about Penn state that this season, it beat a team that good three times. 
you know, we got a dude, we got a Bill Raftery send it in. Yeah. Yeah. We're big time. (laughs) That's a big time moment. Like I don't, I don't know. It was just, it was pretty wild. I, I, I'm sure he has broadcasted Penn state before, but it's the first time I really remember sitting there being like, wow, Bill Raftery is announcing a Penn State basketball game. I did yeah, not I think I would. I don't know that because I don't know recent memory. Yeah, Gus Johnson had like yeah. Gus Johnson absolutely yeah. has like because he had a, he had like a cup of coffee as a BTN announcer or whatever. Yeah, I remember the right. Michigan yeah. game. He, he's Fox works with BTN right. since he's been right. with Fox. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. and yeah, just I I I didn't like start rewatching that dunk until a day or two ago because I just like couldn't believe it but after the game uh without giving too terribly much away i did a little bit of journalism and that's actually like th- what josh did on that play is something that the team practices every single day for a situation like that a situation where you yeah know i think you said like the name of it's like sonic or something yep. something like that and it's like, like in that moment for josh to just go oh wait a minute i'm going to do this because they knew that once they got Andrew Dockich onto Tony, Ohio State was going to try and take to- Tony's ability to drive out of that. I don't know what the other guys in Ohio State were doing because for whatever reason, like I think uh, Keita Bates-Diop was the guy on, uh, on Julian Moore who for whatever reason was just like kind of hugging Julian when he was standing out on the perimeter because that was the thing they were afraid of or whatever and just gave Josh a clear lane to get to the rim, but it, it, it just, everything came together and worked. Oh, it was, dude, it, it was simple, yeah. man. They were all just watching Tony Carr. Like everyone yeah. thought Tony Carr was going to shoot the ball. I don't, no one in the, in that arena thought it was going to go to anybody else. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Like ABD was hugging Julian Moore for kind of no reason, but that was clearly just cause they didn't want an offensive rebound put back. Um, you know, but at the same time you did see Josh Reeves cut, right across his face yeah, and he didn't yeah. even move because he was too busy ball watching Tony Carr. Um, well, you but got, it was, you got to respect Julian Moore's corner three. Come on, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> well, you also got to respect Pat Chambers decision to not call time out there. Sure. Let him play. Um, Cause clearly they caught them napping for that specific reason when it's kind of like a, a, a panic, not panic, but you know what I'm saying? The clock's running down. You don't have time to really think. Um, everyone just kind of fell asleep watching Tony Carr and, Josh Reeves has always been a great off the ball cutter, um, and then yeah, that was that was honestly probably one of the best plays in Penn State basketball history, um, bar none. I don't I don't even know kind of like what other. There's a couple other plays that you would say, like I said, some of the crazy shots that some some great players hit in big moments, but that was that was wild. So I don't have the uh, the play by play up in front of me right now, but was there? A- a timeout uh, maybe before Ohio State's possession or something like that where Pat could have gone. Okay, so it it is conceivable that Pat could have gone, okay, what's going to happen is we're going to be in this situation where we know they're going to double Tony, and when that happens, Josh just cut to the rim. Like It's conceivable, but it's probably far more likely what happened was everyone just knew what they had to do in that moment from Tony to Josh to even like Julian just standing out on the perimeter and giving them room to work, like everything. I don't even know if it was that. It's just the fact that yeah. like Tony has so much gravity. He's he's yeah. averaging like twenty seven points a game versus Ohio State this year. Like obviously he's going to have the ball. Obviously they're going to, you know, gravitate towards him. And you know, I, I mean, good on Josh for making that. Like you said, it is, it is like a something in their playbook 
kind of like a or something they do in practice like they run that you know if everybody's looking at tony like somebody's going to cut off ball back door kind of thing and and find him so yeah i mean it's it's, i don't want to give too much credit to pat but like that's a that's a whole team effort there to to recognize the situation and and make that play yeah it was it was great um yeah i i like it when penn state makes it to the uh semifinals of the big 10 tournament and i'm going to be very excited for next year uh when everyone comes back and penn state makes an even uh an even longer run in the big 10 tournament but we will save that uh for a podcast a little bit farther down the road uh what i think it's uh time to talk about now is talk about the nit um i don't think any of us were especially shocked uh when we were watching the selection show and penn state didn't make it in um i feel i would like to meet the person who was very shocked at this because you know someone somewhere was blown away that penn state didn't make it into the ncaa tournament but beyond that uh i i guess the question and chad will start with you uh i think there was a lot coming into this year about what would constitute a good season or a successful season or something like that. And getting into the NIT for most programs is a sign that things didn't go especially great. But for Penn State, it's the first major postseason tournament it has made since 2011. So I think it's kind of in a bit of a gray area. Do you think it's a little bit more black and white about whether the NIT constitutes a successful uh, season or a failure of a season? It can be both not a success and not a reason to fire the coach at the same time. Damn. Um, like, it, you know, obviously I, I thought coming into the season, like, yeah, this is a, this team's good enough to make the NCAA tournament. They're good enough to to win nine, ten games in the Big Ten. Sure. Um, it turned out that, you know, they didn't do quite enough and that Big Ten was just so down that uh, even winning nine games wouldn't get them in. But I don't think, you know, it's, it can be not a success, but it's, you know, people say, oh, it's not successful. Then you got to fire the coach. I don't think that's reasonable. I mean, you know, we'll see who comes back next year. I mean, that's the big question is who is who's going to make the their comeback for the junior year, um, whether it's Tony, Mike, Lamar, Josh has a decision to make probably too. So, I mean, we've, we've touched on that a lot. Um, I, you know, I it's not wasn't the best season. They could have done better. I mean, they finished top 30 in Kempom. Obviously, they're one of the most unlucky teams in the country by that metric he has on there. Yeah, Ch- uh, Chad, you tweeted about, about 351. You tweeted yeah. about that a little bit earlier today. Can you uh, explain that a little bit? In, in in layman's terms, it's basically like um, it, looking at your, at your statistical profile, what would your expected record be and where does it at, what did it actually turn out to be? And it turns out like Penn, the difference between Penn State's what they should have been and what they actually were was was one of the most unlucky in the country, basically. So that's what the luck is. So it's not like he just looks at, oh, that team is so unlucky. Just, you know, it's not like Ken Palmer is actually just like sitting there, you know, finger pointing at different teams saying they're unlucky. It's just a matter of how well they played versus what their record turned out to be. So, um, and you can point to certain games like, you know, um, the Wisconsin game was awful. Um, I don't know if that was unlucky. It was just a bad performance. But Wisconsin was um, a one-point loss. Ryder was a one-point loss. Right, they're one-point losses, and they're and they're like the Purdue game. Like the Purdue game, that's a game like they play that well. They're usually going to win that game, but the fact they were playing Purdue, that's that kind of thing happens. Like NC State game, like NC State was crazy hot from three that game. That's not like 
you know, three point luck is a certain, is a thing that factors into it too. Like you can't, there's only so much you can do with three point shooting. Cause if a team just gets hot, like what can you do? So all that stuff goes into it basically. And it's, um, it's just a way to, to look at, you know, how is it, I don't know what to, how to describe it actually, but like, you know, they're, they're clearly, they're a good team. It's just a matter of, they didn't do quite enough. So I, again, I don't think it's, it's, you can say it's not a success, but at the same time, it's like not, it's not unacceptable the way that it played out. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm pretty, if it's like turnover luck in football, which I haven't done enough like research into this, uh, and Eric or Dan, if you can speak on it, you can, but basically in, in football, when a ball is on the ground, uh, turnover luck says you're about you're supposed to get about half of those. Uh, Penn State, as I'm looking through, they were really really bad in one and two possession games. Uh, and my guess is that turn that my guess is that luck in Ken Palm basically says you should win X percentage of that. Or in the case of NC State, they're a team that shoots thirty some odd percent from three. They made sixty three percent of their threes against Penn State. Just weird stuff like that. But uh, yeah, Dan, I want to pull you in. Um, are, are you as uh, in the black and white that Chad and I are in, or are you a little bit swayed more into one direction or another? I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting discussion point because there's so many things that you say in both directions. There's, there's a lot of uh, you know, cases to be made in both directions. And I think because that is true, you, you do end up with it sort of being an you know, and in the middle type situation, you know, they blew a lot of opportunities this season. I think I actually, that, that bothers me more than, you know, one or two ugly losses is, you know, how many opportunities they had in close games, you know, against, you know, decent opponents that slipped away from them. Uh, you know, think of the the road game against Maryland, the road game against Indiana, the, um, you know, obviously the Purdue game late in the season, uh, you know, they're, they're just, just a lot of examples of games where you know would have been really nice to have you know an, uh, a win or two there you know from that group of games you know on the resume there um, you know the Indian and and you talk about some of the you know the factors that went into you know every team has injuries so I don't really you know bring up Mike Watkins thing but you know Josh Reeves getting suspended for four games is sort of you know an, an unforced error you know and and that it's more frustrating than if he had you know sprained an ankle and missed four games or something like that you know it's um, you know, it's one of those things where just, you know, because he, you know, physically was able to do it and wasn't because of, you know, eligibility, it just, it, it's an extra layer of frustration there. It feels like it was something that was very, you know, uh, you know avoidable. Um, you know, you talk about the fact that they did, uh, you know, make strides this season. You know, there, there was definitive improvement, uh, you know, as the season went on, that the team got better. Um, you know, so that's a good thing. But, you know, you say at the same time, um, you know, if... You know, a, a number of key pieces this team don't come back next year to what end, you know, having not made the tournament. Um, you know, you talk about the you know, non-conference and, you know, there's a lot of debate out there about, you know, whether Penn State, you know, scheduled this non-conference the way that it did on purpose or not. I'm certainly of the opinion that, you know, they wanted to have a better non-conference and, you know, just didn't have the opportunities to do so. Um, but, you know, either way, you know, it's something you need to get done. They didn't get it done, and you know, it definitely, uh, you know, cost them in terms of you know not only uh, you know lacking you know res- resume building wins, but also you know uh, shooting themselves in the foot with the game against Ryder. There's a lot that went into it. Um, you know, you can make a case. You know, the whole year seven thing. You can make a case. Oh, you know, we're, we're, it's it's a team that's you know mostly 
pretty young and, you know, clearly, you know, taking strides, you know, making strides together. Um, you know, so it really does, you know, sort of balance both on the fence. And I think, uh, you know, I sort of end up, you know, sort of back where I think we generally are, which is that, you know, it's there, there are some aspects that are disappointing, but, you know, if, uh, you know, if you're bringing the core of this team back next year, you know, it looks like a, you know, a, uh, a stepping stone to, you know, next year, which is really going to be a, you know, a big year, um, you know, this NIT being another opportunity for these guys to develop together. It's a, you know, an opportunity for a, you know, a way to, to finish strong for you know, Shep Garner, Julian Moore, um, you know, so there's still plenty to, you know, plenty, you know, good positive that you can take out of it. Um, I think you know, both sides can certainly, or certainly feel, uh, you know, cause it is, you know, it, it, for a lot of people in this fan base, a, a you know two-sided issue you know you're either for or against uh, you know the the, uh, the the chambers era and uh, i think you know this is one of those seasons where it kind of makes both sides feel uh, you know uh, you know i think to some extent a little bit uh, vindicated but you know ultimately you know i think we we are all in agreement and people this is like nails on a chalkboard for people that uh, you know defining the season you know next year is going to be a big part of uh, you know how it looks in context uh, all, all right, Eric. Uh, do you want like a timer on how long you're about to speak, or are you just gonna you just want to go off? I'm buckling up now. Same. I, no, I, I mean, I mean, Dan, Dan hit a lot of it. I mean, it, it, it is a gray area. I mean, there's there's so much um, to to consider. Like he, he was saying, um, I don't really know what to make of this season. I think you know it kind of was as expected, and then it wasn't. I mean. Uh, the scheduling is an issue. The schedule came out in the off season. We all knew it was not going to be something that would help them get into the tournament. Um, so there was concern that that was going to be, beat them up. I mean, that's what kind of what we, we haven't hit on yet is why they haven't, why they aren't in the NCAA tournament. They won yeah, 21 true. games. They won nine Big Ten games. Um, you know, there's that stupid stat flying out there that like any Big Ten team that won nine, went 500 or better in the regular season and then won two Big Ten tournament games has that's never been left out. I mean, that's just a coincidence, like whatever. But um, but when you look at Penn State's resume, um, all they had really all they had was that three wins over Ohio State. Those were the three really great wins. Um, all three of them were great wins. I mean, the way they blew them out at home, one on the road, one on the big stage in Madison Square Garden. You know, there's nothing to take away from that. So I get a little bit annoyed at people who are trying to dismiss that, saying, oh, it's just clearly that, that they just have a matchup, you know, advantage over Ohio State. Yeah, these same people were saying how impossible it is to beat Ohio, to beat a team three straight times, let alone Ohio State, before that game. So... So there's no you can't take anything away from those three Ohio State wins. Um, that clearly that's the achievement of the season so far, um, and, and that was and that's great. But then on the flip side of that, you know, there's so many losses that Dan already touched on that they they had their opportunities and they lost for whatever reason. I know a lot of Chambers often cited youth as an issue. Um, you know, players needing to mature, and really that was kind of you know under the. It, reading between the lines there was it was clearly like directed at Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens because those these are sophomores true sophomores that were directing the whole offense and, and pretty much accounting for at least half the offense um, in terms of shots um, and possessions so you know they blew a couple opportunities early um, you know the North Carolina State game I mean like because if you remember like playing through the season and how things how things went as far as narratives and such. You know, a lot of people were freaking out back in December, like real early. 
Um, you know, we they had that three game stretch there with North Carolina, State, Iowa, and Wisconsin. I think all three of us, uh, we were we were all on this pod. We were all saying how they needed to go two out of three in that stretch, and they only went one out of three. And then that's when all the you know the dreaded uh, they're not going to have their chances to build up a tournament resume with the schedule, blah 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 blah. Well, NC State obviously ended up being pretty darn good. They're in the tournament. Um, so that was a chance for them to get a great quality win. If you remember, they were up. They started that game eleven nothing, and we all thought like, you know, here goes Penn State. They're rolling, and then they um, they got blitzed behind the arc in that game on the road. Missed a lot of layups. I remember Mike Watkins missing all sorts of layups, and and they lost that game. Still the worst layup team in basketball history. Oh, for sure, Penn State. For sure. I mean, that's really. I mean, heck, if that's really what you want to say why Penn State isn't in the tournament anymore is because they missed too many laps because they would have won so many more games if they didn't miss so many laps. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, it's funny because they've always, you know, they, the concern's always been, I think you've touched on this before, there's always been this you know, sort of vetching about this team and about how they, they don't shoot threes. They were, they were, what, 40th in the country, I think, in three-point percentage? They didn't shoot oh, yeah. a ton, but the shot selection was very good on it, and they hit yeah, a lot of the ones that they took. And... Yeah, yeah, they don't shoot a ton of threes. I think that the, their percentage and their, you know, their, the how often they shoot it speaks to a very good shot selection on that. I think it's, that's exactly what it is. If you all things being equal, because they're a good defensive team, I think the biggest problem with this team they don't finish around the rim. Yeah, they're yeah. Uh, just looking at it right now. I don't have anything more, you know, advanced because. Uh, Crap, I can't think of the name of the site, but they stopped being for media people. Uh, Penn State, it was, they connected on about a little under half of their uh, two-point attempts. They were 177th nationally. Yeah, they don't, they, they, they struggled finishing around the rim, and they don't draw fouls when they go to the rim. You know, those two things, and, they, and they're not a good free-throw shooting team either. And pretty much anything that's not shooting threes, they, they had some, uh, some struggles with. And dunks. They, they got. They dunks. were very good at dunks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, no, considering uh, yeah. that's why the two point percentage yeah. is so high because they dunk everything that's not a layup. Well, I was going to say considering that Julian, uh, not Julian, Jordan Dickerson dunk that didn't go in against Duquesne uh, in 2014 or 15. Can we really complain about this team being, uh, you know, dunks being the primary source of two point scoring? Oh no, it's it's fine. It's just the, yeah. man, just dunk more instead of trying to lay it up. But yeah, Eric, uh, <laughs> you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to be clear, I had Eric at about three minutes and twenty seconds before Dan. I know. I was about to say you, you told me I was going to get this like platform. You know, and I was no, just no, waiting for this. Eric, I do not want you to ever stop going in. All right. Weird. Anyway, so show me Quan. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, but if you remember, like, how this like season played out, though, everyone was just complaining from the beginning. Um, like, as soon as things went south, um, before it went south in the Montana game, even. Yeah, like going yeah. nuts over that. It's like, what the, what's going on? Yeah, but, but that's just because there was the whole perception of this schedule was going to doom them from the beginning. Right. Um, sometimes you just got to let things play out because you just never know how it's going to play out. I mean, no one, nothing ever goes as predicted. So um, the season goes on. That Wisconsin game, though, I think is easily my most frustrating game just because I knew Wisconsin wasn't really going to be that good this year. Um, not that they're not going to be, you know, not that it speaks anything to Greg Gard or anything like that, but that program just simply had lost too much and was simply too young to be expected to um, maintain the level that that program has been at over the last 15 years. 
So here was a chance that they had just come off that Iowa win before we all knew Iowa was really that bad. I mean, we had seen signs that Iowa was going to have a tough year, but this was still back when like Iowa was potentially a team that could turn it around. Um, so winning that road game and then coming back and having a chance to go 2-0, um, really, they really crapped the bed <laughs> for like that stretch there. Um, I think they started out pretty well. I remember Mike Watkins had a fantastic game. He was the only one that I felt like showed up. Um, but that was when Tony Carr had probably his worst game of the season um, in terms of leading the, the offense, taking good shots, finding cutters. Um, he didn't really pass the ball much at all in that game and then took the, a whole bunch of terrible shots, including the whole botched last play when they had a chance to win the game. Um, and they had Watkins down low, and he didn't see him in time and then stuttered and then took a terrible three that everyone knew was going to be off. Um so, but, but then at that time, though, you can also use that like as a symbolic moment of like this is where Carr was back in December and then look at him at the end of the Ohio State game because I think those were kind of the similar situations. Penn State's trying to make a comeback. They get a stop. They get the ball with a live clock running. They have to make a play. Um, you know, Carr certainly looked confident there in March and was not confident back in December. So, um, you know, going, going back through the season, though, then obviously the Ryder game happened. And that was when kind of everybody like kind of lost, you know, that was kind of like the nail in their coffin almost. And it's kind of like they've always been playing from behind ever since. Um, and even then, though, I was still confident because I thought this team could could roll through this Big Ten. I was not very impressed with the Big Ten at the time. Um, and then, it, honestly, I think the Big Ten fell short of everyone's expectations, even even if I had lower expectations coming in. Um, so I, I always kind of thought that, like, hey, we can make up for it in the Big Ten. But then they had all the adversity with the whole Josh Reeves thing. Um, which I mean, you you can very easily make the case that Penn State's first, I'd say, five Big Ten losses were all games that they should have won. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And, and I was saying that, like, I was like, I, I think this team can go on a run and win six or seven or something like that, which they ended up proving that they could do at the end of the year. Um, back when their schedule got a lot harder. So so that was what was so frustrating about the whole Reeves situation, why everything got so negative. It was, one, they had already kind of booted their easy non-conference. Two, Reeves was, you know, academically ineligible because he clearly, like, either failed of class or, or whatever and had to figure out what his academic situation was. Um, and then they had just blown those games, which were, the, you know, with a front-loaded Big Ten schedule that was conducive to them getting off to a great start, which has been so hard for them to do um, under Chambers. So, you know, I, I know Chambers has mentioned it, how they were, like, on the chopping block when um, they lost that Northwestern game and went to 3-5. and five. You know, the, the, everything looked hopeless. But then finally this team finally hit that hit their stride kind of started maturing Carr and Stevens became a lot more consistent played their best ball down the stretch um Shep Garner was steady um and also got better as the season went on and Josh Reeves returned that overdue and, library book and got back in this court <laughs> and then obviously Reeves coming back was definitely huge as well so um so then we kind of finally got to see what this team could be at its potential there towards the end of the stretch now you know things kind of sputtered out there after Mike Watkins injury uh, but still, this team, you know, from ever since that Ohio State game, the first one, really played well. I don't think there's really a whole lot even you can losses, criticize. Even in their yeah, losses, their losses well, like, yeah. was at Michigan State, and they had a 12-point second half lead. Now, of course, people are going to say, oh, they blew that lead. But, I mean, come on now. You're playing 
top five team on the road. That's not a huge surprise, and that's going to happen to a lot of teams. Also, they had a 12-point lead with like 15 minutes left. It's not like there was like five minutes left. Um, so that they gave a great effort in that one before they ran out of gas against a better team. You know, we talked about the Purdue game. You know, Dan Dan covered that. That was another great effort. Um, and then, unfortunately, the last two games, they played two good teams. It's not like they played, you know, Michigan's a three seed and Nebraska got screwed in the in the NIT, but they're also a 22-win team. Um, so, yeah, they, they finished the season great. Now, the big question, though, when you, when you want to consider the context of the program and everything, it you, you kind of hate to put everything into the hands of a player and these guys' decisions, but, I mean, that's – the truth of the matter is, is that's what it's going to come down to. Um, you know, the reason why Chambers is still here after seven years was because of these kids that he brought here and this team that he had. And when you, you know, this is college, you have a certain window to produce with these kids. You know, does anyone think Tony Carr is going to be here for four years? No. So here he is now. There's a huge question on whether he's going to come back for his third year. Um, and if he doesn't come back for his third year, all you got out of a top 50 kid from Philly was an NIT berth. And that's kind of like, that's, that's with a, like, if you told me before, like right after Carr committed that all he would do, do is get one NIT berth, that would be a huge disappointment for sure. Um, and you definitely have to, at some point, hold the coach accountable for those disappointments. Now, if Carr comes back next year, though, this team, this its potential is is more than any other Penn State basketball team that I've seen. And I think you'd have to go back to 96 or, I mean, honestly, I'm not even sure. I can't even speak to the context of 96. I was, I was five, six years old or whatever. I don't know if that Penn State team was actually supposed to be that good heading into the season. Um, but if Tony Carr comes back and the rest of the core of this team comes back, we're not talking about whether this team's going to make the tournament or not. That should be, that shouldn't even be the expectation. Um, that should be a foregone conclusion for, for how good this team should be next year um, with Josh Reeves, Tony Carr, Lamar Stevens, and Mike Watkins. Now, you don't want to discount Shep Garner because he was huge down the stretch here, but you know they have Miles Dredd and, Re- and Rasir Bolton coming in. Those two guys combined should help offset that loss of Garner. And they could be a you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm BSing anyone when I say it could be a top 25 team. It could be a team that finishes maybe in the top three, the top five of the Big Ten. Um, and I, 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 that's that legitimizes this program more so than it has ever been um, in the 20 years that I followed it. Um, and, and under a coach who can capitalize that in recruiting, that is very exciting. But if Tony Carr doesn't come back, what what is this team ceiling with Lamar, Josh, and hopefully Mike Watkins? I mean, we don't even want to consider the the worst case scenarios with multiple guys leaving. Um, but if you don't have Tony Carr, what you know they're gonna have to replace Carr and Garner in the backcourt. And I love Dreden Bolton, but are they up for that? And if they're not, kind of what what is the realistic realistic expectations you can place on that team? Um, I think we would still be kind of where we're at today, which is tournament or bust. Um, and that's not that kind of ceiling isn't too exciting to me. And it's also it's kind of their last window because Reeves is going to graduate after next year. Watkins is probably going to go too because um, he's not going to be a 25 year old super senior. I just I don't see him staying for his fifth year. Um, and then it's like, what do we get out of this? We got, you know, at some point you're going to have to make a move. And then that not only does Penn State's window close, but so does the talent like 
you know, what do you do with Chambers then? Like, if you're going to make a coaching change after the window closes, there's there's really nothing to attract a good coach here other than a new administration and potentially a higher spending athletic department. I don't know. Um, but we'll see though. So like right now, I, I, I don't, I don't think we need to see, I don't think we need to speculate because I think we all know what Sandy Barber is going to do. Um, you know, her, her bar was always just improving the big 10, which they did, you know, the way they ended the season. There's just no way I can see them not re-upping chambers because his contract's running out. Yeah, I think we want to dispel any rumor of like, you know, that the his job status, you know, hinges upon how well they do in the NIT. Right. I, I have reason to believe that Pat is going to be safe, uh, that he's going to be back next year. I, 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 I'm not sure uh, exactly how confident I am in that, but I am reasonably I, I, ha- I am a little bit confident. I'm I'm 99% confident. Yes. Uh, I, I Yeah, I, I feel safe saying that Pat Chambers is going to come back next year. What Sandy Barber said at the beginning of the season, it was not you have to win X number of games. It was not the, It was not a you have to make the NCAA tournament. It was not, you know, you have to bring in a top 30 recruiting. It was nothing like that. It was show me improvement in the Big Ten. Penn State this year went 9-9. Nine and nine, could have very, very easily won a whole bunch of games that it ended up losing in the Big Ten. It made it to the Big Ten semifinals. Based on the criteria that Sandy Barber vocally said, Pat Chambers is coming back next year. And again, reason to believe that she, that, that Pat sometime in the however long in the near distant future is going to get some kind of an extension. So he has the ability to go out and recruit. I, I do kind of want to reel it in because I think Eric was getting a little too big picture there. But just looking at this year, when you were looking at what we wanted out of Penn State, I think everyone wanted some kind of postseason uh, that wasn't the CBI because um, if this Penn State team ended up making the CBI, I feel pretty, or getting the invite to the CBI, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Uh, some stuff would have changed, uh, and the team next year would have looked very different than the team this year. But it made the NIT. It reached some kind of postseason, and it showed signs of reasons for optimism for next year's team. And I, I think, I, I don't know how to define a success, partly because the season isn't over. If Penn State loses uh, to Temple and it ends its which, again, I don't think is going to happen. We'll talk about that in a second. I think that's going to – it's going to leave a really bad taste in my mouth if it loses to Temple, especially a Temple team that has ties with, uh, you know, X percent of Penn State's roster and it tried to recruit every kid in Penn State's starting five and a few kids on Penn State's bench probably. I'm going to feel weird about that. But if Penn State's able to beat Temple, it's able to go on and play Notre Dame and either beat Notre Dame or – you know, give it a fight against a team that, if Bonzi Colson doesn't get hurt, is in the NCAA tournament, loses that one. Like, I, I don't know how bad I feel. And if Penn State makes so, a run, I'm going to feel great. Like, I, So much cool. Hampton disrespect. Oh, my gosh. So much what? So much Hampton disrespect. Uh, I was going to make a Joe Hampton joke, but I'm not going to do that because I think he fell off the face of the earth. But, yeah, uh, Hampton has the distinction of... Since we started... Since Eric started... Started his like ten minute rant there. He did transfer to another school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, 
Hampton holds the distinction of being the only team to lose to Penn State in CBI history, so I have no respect for them. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that so much of it, to go back to Eric's much larger point, I think a lot of a, a lot of the way that this season is, and it's very weird to say this, but I feel like the way that success or failure this season will be determined is almost like by what the team does next year. Because if this year was a year that planted the seeds for a team that, like Eric said, Penn State, there's a, I don't think there's a bad chance that it gets some preseason top 25 votes. I don't know if it gets in there, but I think it probably gets some votes. Especially if we end up, if, if we get to the NIT like semifinals or something, yeah, we would, yeah. I think we would definitely. And do. brings every, and brings everyone back. And they, again, whether they start getting votes or they start the season high and they end up a top four team in the big 10 and they look like a team that has a second weekend run in them. I, I think, I think that's going to make it look a little bit uh, more fondly back on this year. It's a weird situation. uh, But just as a general thing, uh, I don't know about you guys. Uh, I'm just going to roll this ball out there. I'm, I am excited that this team is playing uh, in any kind of postseason tournament because just at the end of the day, I like watching Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens and Josh Reeves and Shep Gardner and some of the other dudes on this team play basketball. Like, ultimately, to me, it just comes back to that. Are you trying to have, like, the NIT NCAA-like argument? Is that what this is? No. Where, like, I, do I you either... I don't think has any idea where he ended up there. Yeah, that, went, like... that went a lot of different places. I, I, I'm, trying to get us, I'm trying to get us back to talking about the NIT instead of, like, well, what happens if Pat gets fired and we lose out on the 2029 recruiting class? Yeah, I mean, I understand because we do have a whole offseason to, yeah. to do that. So yeah. I will say, talking about turning our focus to Temple, I'm slightly disappointed that if you look at Temple's roster, they really don't have many like Philly guys that played against these guys, you know, growing up or anything like that. I think they've only got like three guys that are, you know, went, you know, went to school in the, in the, you know, greater Philadelphia area. Um, so it's not like there's like, a, like, you know, rivalries renewed between the Philly guys on Penn state's team and, and temples roster. They're sort of just like a mishmash from all over the place. Uh, and, you know, so that that's a little bit disappointing, but, you know, there's certainly that motivation of, you know, uh, you know, guys that, you know, are, you know, it's a college that's into the city, no question. And, you know, as you said, they were they were recruited by these guys. So hopefully that's enough. Yeah, outside of Shiz Alston and Ernest uh, Flackwe, there's not many Philly guys, but there are some guys that Penn State recruited. Uh, Quentin Rose had an offer, I think. Nate Pierre-Louis was – there was some interest there, I think, before um, the 2017 class was kind of written off. Um, Alani Moore was obviously – he was kind of the backup plan to Tony Carr, uh, point guard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I, I saw the uh, – Quotes from Lamar Stevens at a press conference uh, this evening, um, saying how you know they they know a lot of guys in that team, a lot of, you know there's a lot of familiarity there. So, um, and that was the kind of situation with Ryder too, that you know both teams kind of knew each other pretty well. So, yeah, um, and that worked out great. Some, yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure it'll be in, in some uh, entertainment there, and uh, especially with uh, Temple fans, I'm really gonna enjoy this. I d- I them. do. I will say I think that there it, you'd be hard pressed to find a better matchup in terms of trying to. Dr- up interest to get people out to the game because there's a lot of you know Penn State yes. uh, people who you know know people who go to Temple and would like to be there to celebrate you know beating them in basketball. <laughs> yeah, there's a and Temple fans seem to be uh, kind of in a win-win situation here. Uh, that's that's the general vibe I'm getting from um, um, online Temple yeah, fans. Yeah, 
<laughs> we gotta get we gotta get a, a, a mess boards on temples. Oh temple yes, boards melting down because they all kind of kind of want Penn State to win so that they can can drum yeah. up fire. Friend, I I, I, <laughs> I spoke to a temple graduate earlier today who straight up said they're rooting for Penn State. Like whatever. Like I, I uh, yeah, I'm having dinner yeah. with somebody from Temple tomorrow, and I want I want to ask about all that. <laughs> How long has Fran been there? Like forever, correct? Like 2006 or something. Yeah, like I, th- I think it's ago. like eleven. I think eleven years. I think his last year at Penn was the last year that Penn won the Ivy, which was yep. 07. Yeah, yeah, 07 was his first year there. I think this that's is his. Huh. I think this is his eleventh season at Temple. That's correct. Yep. And yep. it's it seems like the general consensus is like. It's not that they've hit a ceiling; it's that they hit the ceiling, and now they're on the way back down. Correct? We we can't recruit is the is yeah. the general feeling is is that he he doesn't you know he doesn't really because he sort of has some disdain for the whole the game and the way that it's gone in terms of how you recruit and the you know the, the you know reliance on AAU and everything and and Dunphy's like openly antagonistic towards that that it has really hurt Temple's standing and you know they they've always been competing for the you know sort of the quote unquote scraps after Villanova. And now suddenly, you know, they're losing recruiting battles to Penn State. You know, it's it's. Yeah, I can understand the frustration level for some fans that it feels like you know they're they're sort of spinning their wheels a bit. Yeah, some, well, there's some late late stage detellicism there with uh, Fran. Well, yeah, that tra- uh, that transition to the American Conference just was too too tough, yeah. too tough. So let's just look at Temple uh, from a basketball perspective. Uh, number eighty six in Ken Palm. Uh, Ken Palm has uh, Penn State about an 80% chance of winning, a nine-point margin of victory right now. Uh, Temple's last game was an eight-point loss in the uh, American Conference Tournament to a really good Wichita State team. And just looking yeah, through who, here. Uh, who, cares, who cares about all this? Yeah. I, well, do you want to talk, <laughs> let's talk about, about... <laughs> Let's talk about the new rules that we're going to Oh, fine. To, sure. That we're going to get to experience with the widened... Um, the open lane, twenty second quarters, um, the fouls resetting. Thank God, this is going to be a physical game. I mean, I know Dan was trying to say that he was looking for more Philly guys, but you know, Shiz Alston obviously. Is well, yeah, Shiz Alston's the most like Philly guy on that team. Yeah, for sure. well, he and he was the one who kind of had Tony and Lamar come up behind him um, with Team Final, and um, unfortunately, Trey Lowe is still coming off that crazy car accident a few years ago um so unfortunately he's not i don't think he's played at all this year i think he's taking another redshirt year um but it's going to be a physical game it's going to be again it's kind of like the rider game going to be a lot of trash talk now hopefully penn state's a little bit more disciplined um as far as trash talking before the game if we all remember Nas bostic before rider but um but but Nas has paid his penance and by getting yeah. hit in the face with a basketball 15 times since then. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's going to be nice though, having those fouls reset because obviously I expect this to be a physical game. Um, it's, there might be a little chippiness. Um, and being able to you know, reset the bonus or whatever you know, with these 10-minute quarters, I think, I think you get in the bonus after the fifth team foul um, in 10 minutes, which is a much better rate than your seventh team foul in 20 minutes. For a team like Penn State, who can get in foul trouble um, and really get taken out of their game, so I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the flow of the game with the quarters, um, and then obviously the deeper three-point line should hopefully spread the spread the line out. Obviously, that's not going to be an issue for Shep. Um, he can shoot it from 30, but I mean, really, if you think about it, this, is actually better than being in the NCAA tournament. 
Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. But <laughs> but honestly, though, like this is the best consolation prize between playing the temple um, with the new rules. I, I'm more excited for this NIT than I've been for any other NIT. Not that I would actually want to <laughs> yeah, be Eric, in the can, NIT. Eric, can you but... do me a favor and rank all the NITs that you've been really excited for? Uh, well, I wasn't really excited for the 2009 NIT, but um, they made that exciting after they went on their run. Uh, 2006 NIT, I was not excited for, and they got rolled by Quincy Doobie. And then all the other NITs were back when Joe Crispin and I was like a kid. So uh, Jared Stevens like towards ACL and the NIT, that wasn't fun. So yeah, I mean, this this is the first NIT for me as a Penn State fan. So. So, yeah, yeah same. So th- this is as a Penn State fan, excluding the CBI, because yeah, no, uh, the uh, this is really the second postseason game that I have uh, been witness to, and the first time was the Temple in 2011. So yeah, there are some uh, there are some demons to be exercised here. Yeah, well, uh, I'm uh, happy for it. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, looking, thank I, you. I mean, looking throughout the rest of the NIT, like it looks like it has the potential to be fun if Penn State can go on a run. Like that game against Notre Dame should be a legit should. Should Penn State beat Temple and should Notre Dame deal with a Hampton team that is 246th in Ken Palm, um, that game should actually be like a really fun basketball game. Uh, let's how see. How about they're sending uh, Ryder out to Oregon on a Tuesday? Like, <laughs> Sunday as we're recording this, they're going to go to Oregon on Tuesday and play. So, so, uh, so like, can see, like, Ryder probably should have gotten like after I it was announced. Think they they're not going to get a rematch with Penn yeah. State. So, well, unfortunately I, for us, I I almost want like I don't want to play Ryder again because nothing good can come from it. But there's part of me that'd be like it'd be really fun to play them again and just win by that game by fifty. Even yeah, well, I want some revenge for that. I'm sure the, the players do too. That'd the be the nice. best revenge. There's there's no game. way they would lose if they play Ryder again. No, I don't think so. That's, Penn State would yeah. not lose that game. That no. is not a statement that could come back to uh, haunt us at any point. Uh, I'll live with it. It's fine. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. I'm really worried about the the you know rider <laughs> message board. The rabid rider fan like yeah, like like Eric with Testudo Times. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, Yo, speaking of Maryland, they didn't even make the NIT. Yeah, they didn't. They did not. Indiana did not. Like just which is uh, only relevant if you follow the Twitter account uh, happening. Hoops. Uh, well, I wonder if Testudo is now crying more for Mark Turgeon to be fired because they got snubbed from the NIT. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, any other things you guys want to talk about? Can we roast Pat's uh, press conference quotes tonight? Some of them were so ridiculous. Yeah, go ahead. Oh wait, I saw my yeah, favorite this is, one was the. This like, is the first year. I have to say, this is the first year where I really feel like he's he's scored some own goals consistently in the press. The, my favorite one... He's always been very savvy, and this year it feels like the, he just yeah. is like unraveled at times. My favorite some one, Chad, is the one where he like advocated for a summit of idea generation or something. Some like This isn't a direct quote, but it's from the... The, 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 the Rodney Dangerfield Memorial. <laughs> uh, we demand respect. Uh, yeah, it's just photoshopping that yeah. that cover of of the Magicians Weekly from Arrested Development <laughs> with all the heads of Big Ten coaches that didn't make the tournament. We demand to be taken seriously. Yeah, he sa- he says he believes the rest of the Big Ten coaches should get together and see how the league can get more respect. Like win win some more non conference games. How about that? Then you get some more respect. It's pretty simple. So who are you gonna get like a marketing campaign going? Oh, you tweet about North crazy, Carolina then. Like- Who's the Who's the Michigan State radio guy? What do you, How do you want to get more respect? Yeah, make plays. <laughs> <laughs> make plays. 
<laughs> although, uh, although Pat did say he said uh, if I was 10 miles, I would not be happy right now, which is kind of a little cool little burn there. I thought like backhanded kind of thing. So when, when is Tim miles happy? Exactly. When he's got uh, the nitrous thing over his face, he's <laughs> sucking that in. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, chamber, good, good couple days of practice. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't get over chambers said he believes the rest of the big 10 coaches should get together and see how the week can get. That's oh God. just in general, like the, the idea that, that big 10 doesn't respect because, because of some like, Ulterior motive is so ridiculous. Like we're going to have to get a non-conference. Like it's pretty simple. It's We're going to have it get together. We're going. We're going to have it. We're going to have it in uh, Thomas's basement, and and there's going to be pretzels. There's going to (laughs) be some some light beer and a little bit of wine and everything. And we're just going to chat and we're just going to talk about uh, you know earning respect and uh, you know leadership and things like that and just. uh, yeah, just just having a grand old time. I gonna, yeah, I, I have yeah. no idea. Like, what, what kind of summit are you holding for this? Where everybody <laughs> together. coming together to talk about, like, so yeah, I mean, like, what is? Did they like rent out a ballroom in Chicago and everybody has to show up and just give like slide deck presentations on? Here's my <laughs> seven point plan for uh, increase in respect. <laughs> John, According to this chart. Oh God, you're making respect. It, uh crosses the right here you know it's like econ 101 stuff but you just take out the uh the, the, you know, all the labor references and just put in uh, some sort of quantifiable respect <laughs> points uh big 10 director of uh respect earning robbie mook or something like that the first thing that we need to do is we need to get as many players as we can possible uh, compared to former players that are vaguely the same by John Rothstein. I, I, I was going <laughs> to I thought for sure that when, and Dan, were you the one who like either you or one of your relatives got mad when Shep got compared to Alan Ray or something? Oh, my brother, well, my brother's a huge Villanova fan. And he said like that, and he pointed out correctly that that doesn't make any sense at all. Like they're completely different players. Like they both were two guards, but the, the, the similarities pretty much end there. Um, and, yeah, but I mean, I was, it was, you know, that's, that's, that would, I would definitely have that be one of my big things in a PowerPoint presentation at the Respect Summit would be, uh, you know, getting more of those tweets out there because that had never happened for Penn State before. Their respect is climbing. And I think, you know, I think Pat's going to have a, quite a presentation at the summit where he can say, hey, we're doing our job. Penn State, you know, Bill Raftery said some nice things and John Rothstein tweeted about us. And what are you guys all doing? You know, you guys are all, you know, your numbers are going way down here. So it's the right time for him to call for such a summit because he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna come off really well in there, and a lot of people are gonna have some egg on their faces, frankly, for the way that they have, you know, just really, you know, allowed the respect points to plummet in their programs this year. Would, would, Chris Collins, I mean, he, what is yeah. he gonna say? Oh, I was gonna <laughs> say, God. like, would they just put like Richard Patino and Chris Collins in a corner? Chris just- Collins, Chris Collins whole presentation will just be the Big Ten Network should hire Doug Collins. <laughs> Chris <laughs> Collins burned the goodwill of getting Northwestern to the NCAA tournament in one year. Like, that's almost I mean, the, I mean, the, I mean, Pat and Chris Holtman will be the clear stars of the Respect Summit. Yeah. Because oh, Chris yeah. Holtman, not only did he take Ohio State from the from the, the pits of the you know, preseason rankings to being, you know, right right in the thick of it until, uh, you know, Penn State got out of But he also has Andrew Dockage, which means we get the whole Dockage factor, which <laughs> clearly did a ton for them in, in the uh, tournament this year. Uh, Dan Dockage uh, support. I will say, he predicted Ohio State <laughs> to be a Final Four team before the season, Dockage, and it doesn't look that crazy. I was going to say, he is, cl- transpired. He so, is closer you know, to that. Maybe we're the idiots. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, no I, I mean, I'm pretty confident in saying that uh, everyone like on the podcast is, is smarter than Dan Dockage, but... Uh, See, they're, they're going to have Chris Collins mop up afterwards. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and, uh, the, the, yeah. That, that was uh, to this <laughs> uh, podcast. Wait, I, I got one more joke. Oh, go, yeah, go, one more. No, go ahead. Keep going. Uh, John, B, John Beeline's bringing the old duels. so yeah we we need to like get a sponsor like see if the family clothesline is willing to like sponsor the three minute tangent that we yeah doubt it oh because because then we could finally have an uh, um an intro theme and we would just play the family clothesline song (laughs) oh yes i I 24 7 get the gear (laughs) yeah I mean, we basically we just we just gave it away for free now. So, uh, 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 Bill, go ahead, go ahead and edit this out. We can't we can't give this away for free. This is gold. So uh, we're gonna start a Patreon. Uh, make sure you subscribe to that. That's where we're gonna have our real good stuff. Um, that's where, that's where I get. That's where I go. And I've been set, I've been promising this from the jump. Is if we if you subscribe to the Patreon, you get onto our secret forum. <laughs> I will talk about my. Uh, my past uh, experiences in uh, in Penn State, uh, you know, journalism circles. You will get the you'll get the inside scoops that everybody's been uh, everybody's been whispering about, but they don't know for sure. <laughs> subscribe, subscribe, and uh, and sign up, and, uh, and you know, like it and share it on Facebook to, to your your family and friends, and we'll get a uh, we'll get that rolling that that action. Um, Sure, Penn State's going to the NIT. Uh, I think that's a good way to uh, to end this podcast. I have a, I have a secondary uh, Twitter account. Go ahead. You know yeah. that I that <laughs> oh, yeah, specifically just for this. It's called it's called uh, Respect Summit Today. <laughs> uh, it's a private locked account. That's where you get the real real scoops. It's on actually in order to subscribe to it you have to go through the same service that Eric Garland is using for his No, no I know we've it's, gotten it, a lot he, of material I, out he of it actually <laughs> yeah. yeah he actually yeah we're, you know the, our two big topics on this podcast are Penn State basketball and Eric Garland <laughs> <laughs> He's he is the person who inspired me to have this private Patreon thing He has a whole 50 <laughs> subscribers on that and I think that I think we could get darn close to that, and you know, you know what an influencer he is. I mean, that, that kind of power you, you see. The, I think is this okay, the first okay, time that uh, that Eric Garland has come up that didn't involve Chad like ramming Daniil into a conversation. That was one other time too, I think, at some okay. point. Well, no, I mean that, that's going to be our big thing next year. Is that we we've we've clearly chosen sides in this in this war, and we've we've chosen against Eric by by bringing in Daniil. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I'm ending the podcast here, but the last thing I want to say is that Eric Garland, if you're listening to this, uh, please tweet at the blog. Please like and subscribe. Okay, hi. Well, we're we're doing like a little bonus thing on the end of this podcast because right after uh, I hit stop, Eric informed us that – that Fran Dunphy in a press conference accused Pat Chambers of giving the bag to a bunch of recruits. So, Eric, uh, I will give you the floor. Uh, well, I mean, all right, so the direct quote, let me pull it up here. Um, I know that, so obviously Dunphy was asked about, you know, Penn State having so many Philly recruits, um, and his response was, I know that Patrick Chambers made a special move to make that happen as best <laughs> as he possibly could. They worked hard at it. And most of the guys that he recruited, we also recruited. And I feel really good about how we recruit and how we go about doing what we do. And nobody will be as sincere and honest 
and as to the point in recruiting as Temple will be. So this is just pretty much pushed to the forefront all of the rumors that have been not really been a secret in Philly, at least um, for the last couple of years, ever since Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens came, committed to Penn State. Um, I mean, frankly, there's been a there's even a dollar amount that's been posted all over the Internet. Supposedly, Penn State paid, according to any Temple fan that you talk to, apparently Penn State paid these two players 40 grand for them to come to say college, which, you know, in this day and age of recruiting and FBI investigations, um, you know, none of us can sit here and plausibly deny that Chambers did that. We don't know. Um, but it obviously adds a new wrinkle to what was already expected to be uh, a heated game on Wednesday, right? That's when it is, Wednesday night? Yeah, Wednesday night at 8 p.m. at the Bryce Jordan Center, yes. So, yeah, that's the gist. This is wild. This is like... Like, we were... So, we hit... Like I said, we hit stop, and then Eric, like, saw this, but we were saying that when coaches accuse... Other co- like it, it's the John Calipari thing. It's always like uh, Cal just keeps get somehow keeps getting these kids there, or uh, you know, with Duke's recent run of success, it'll be someone saying, you know, alluding to this kind of stuff. Fran Dumpy just straight up came out and said, basically, he did the like if the line is uh, saying I am under the impression that Pat Chambers paid these kids, like. He went right up to that line without straight up saying anything. Like this is, Chad. This is fun. This is a guy on the hot seat who is just sick of it, sick of like the game, sick of being like. Especially since these recruits are a big reason why he's on the hot seat. Yeah, they're viewed as like the maybe like turning point guys, like that. The fact that he didn't go after them, like these are Philly guys that he didn't get, and you know could be his the core of his team right now. So yeah, I mean. This is like, this is this is going to be an amazing game on Wednesday. This Holy is, crap! I, I mean, these are what, like you guys mentioned. These are the kids that if they ended up picking Temple over Penn State, Fran is in a much different place right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and he is like he's very obviously just very mad. But and again, like I don't want to say we we know for sure anything that happened in the recruitment of these kids because we're just a bunch of assholes with a podcast. Like, we don't know. For for, for all we know, Fran Dunphy has receipts, but I also feel like if he had receipts, he would have probably mentioned something about having receipts. So, like, it's... Th- this is... D- Dan, what are your thoughts on this? And feel free to be as uh, silly as you want because this is... to Reflect the absurdity of the situation. I... I'm floored that he would say this out loud to the press, you know, because this is something that's, you know, it's been bandied about, it's been whispered about, but there's no accusations anywhere, you know, on the record, especially in this climate where there's a lot of stuff out in the open. There's nothing about Penn State and their recruitment of, you know, the, the current allotment of players. There's not really anything about anything in the past either. You know, the only thing that they were ever connected to in terms of the, you know, the ongoing investigations right now had to do with DJ Newble, and that was like 99.9%, almost definitely that was something that was done after he left Penn State based on all the you know evidence around it. So there's nothing about Penn State out there other than these message board type rumors that have been circulating among big five teams since Penn State got 
Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens and Nazir Bostic in the in the summer of 2016, and it was something that was you know pretty unprecedented for Penn State to do. So you can understand that people were very willing to just pick up and run with any type of rumor that was coming out about you know because it you know it seemed you know implausible to some people who knew Penn State's history that they would ever be able to pull in that kind of talent. Um, so, you know, the the most logical explanation for them is that something untoward was going on. But there's been nothing that's been actual proof, actual evidence or anything like that. And I, I think Chad's exactly right. I think this is purely, you know, bitterness on the part of, you know, Fran Dunphy, who's had a frustrating season where they've, you know, they've beaten some good teams, but they've had some really ugly losses. I think he probably even to a greater extent than you could say about Penn State this year in terms of how, you know, sort of Jekyll and Hyde they've been. Um, and not to make a reference to uh, John Rothstein again, but um, yeah, it's just it's it's astounding to me that he would say this at all. You know, um, I he probably you know was hoping that he'd never have to you know deal directly with Penn State. You know, that's a team that has not scheduled Penn State. You know, we know for a fact Penn State tries to schedule games in Philly every single year. Um, there have been teams that have been willing to do it. They've played St. Joe's. They've played. Penn, they've played LaSalle, um, they haven't played Villanova, they haven't played uh, Temple. You know, it's been a, a, most likely a deliberate choice on the part of this Temple program not to play Penn State. So I think Fran Dunphy, you know, there is probably a little bit of, uh, you know, resentment there, even, you know, even if it was, if he thought everything was above board in terms of they're coming in and taking our players. But for him to actually just come out and say this, at, you know, three days ahead of this game, uh, you know, it's... Uh, uh, I'm, you know, I, I don't know how many waves it's going to make just because it's an NIT thing. It's, he didn't come out that explicitly and say it, and it's just not two huge programs. So I don't know that this is going to, you know, do anything beyond, you know, stir some things up between these two, you know, fan bases that are sort of, you know, on the, uh, you know, on the periphery of college basketball. But it's a, I, I can't recall something like this where a somebody special just, move, a special, a I, special I mean, we move. all know what he's, we all know what he's trying to say there. There's That's nothing. There's not no only, other way to read that. Not only There's no other way to read that. A special move. He then basically talks, a, you know, two or three sentences later and says, like, you know, uh, nobody will be as sincere and honest as to the point in recruiting as Temple will be. With the, like, I mean, it leaves right. it, the only thing it does is it leaves him plausible deniability if anybody follows up, you know, and asks, what did you mean by all of that? But right. beyond that, I mean, he said everything that he meant there. Right. You know, it's not. <laughs> he knows we know that he knows. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And. It, what is if you can like name a score for Wednesday after after reading this? What do you want it to be like? Is, is there a number that you want to put on it? Oh, I don't care. It's just I, I mean, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be like I was just going to hang a hundred on Temple. Yeah, I'm just I'm just excited for the post game handshake, no matter what happens. <laughs> I wish if, if there is one. Yeah, yeah. I still wish this game was played in Philly. Just because, That'd be great, yeah. Because obviously, this is like shots fired in in the Philadelphia community, um, and it, it's kind of it would be kind of like a cage match type of deal in front of the Philly basketball community. But um, unfortunately, it's at Penn State in what will surely be a very deserted Bryce Jordan Center. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit stop now. But yeah, if you listen to this. Uh, this uh, venting session by four angry people about a program's recruiting. God bless you. We appreciate you.